What is up, Redemption? Morning to everyone here in the house and everyone watching online. Thank you for being here on this most practiced of religious observances in America, Super Bowl Sunday. Uh, I saw a meme this week that said, you should be as excited about church as you are about the Super Bowl. So when your pastor makes a point this Sunday, pour Gatorade all over his head. The thirst quencher. (laughs) Well, excited for this morning. we got some good stuff to get into today. Civilizations are built along rivers. Let's start there today, this observation that civilizations are built along rivers. You go back in time, you got Egypt is built along the Nile, Babylon on the Euphrates, in China's ancient empires along the Yellow River, and you've got in Rome on the banks of the Tiber. Civilizations being built along these rivers, and why is that? Why do they choose rivers to build and grow upon? Well, water is life. Where the river flows, agriculture booms and crops can grow in abundance to feed the populations. Where the river flows, there's drinking water that can support large populations of people to drink. This is not only true to the ancient world, it is still true today. Now you take Phoenix, for example. We are uh, kind of a surprising location for a booming metropolis, right? Like if you think about the desert out here, we don't necessarily have these major water sources, and yet... We are able to thrive today as this booming city, fifth largest in the nation, because of things like the Salt River Project that take rivers with canals and pipelines and reroute the Salt River, the Verity River, the Colorado River to come and bring us water as life today. A healthy civilization needs river to survive. Well, this morning, our story With Jesus here in this passage we're going to be in, it opens with a civilization that is crying out for a river. A civilization crying out for a river. We are in John 7, so if you have your Bible, you want to open, turn there, or if you've got your phone, you can pull that out, pull the Bible app, or in John 7, we're going to be starting in verse 37. But as this passage opens to kind of set the stage, John tells us it takes place on the Feast of Tents or the Feast of Booths, or Tabernacles, it's sometimes called. And the Feast of Tents, what, what was that? What's going on in this scene with Jesus? Well, the Feast of Tents was like a national camping trip, right? Like where annually, every year, for seven days, all of Israel, all the nation would go camping. If you can imagine in the United States, if we had like once a year, we're all just like, dude, let's all meet up in Colorado, like the whole country, we'll bring your tent, bring your sleeping bag, we'll all crowd in and sleep under the stars and look out. That's kind of the vibe. Or this, you can imagine me being a kid and all you're looking forward to, when's the Feast of Tents? When, when's the whole nation going to go out in the tents and go camping out under the stars? They would build uh, shelters like this. So it's called tent or booth, uh, be, the feast of that, because they would have these uh, places that they would eat in and sleep in for that week. They kind of build these makeshift dwellings for the week. They would eat in and sleep in. And you can imagine all your neighbors, the whole country's out doing this together. And it was one of the three pilgrimage festivals where everyone in the country would flock to Jerusalem, to the temple, to the capital. So the temple's like thumping. You can imagine music's going, everyone's packed, everyone's there to party. Like, but they're there to party camping, no deodorant, like they're, and they're thirsty, right? Now, why did they do this? Well, in part, it was to remember God's provision for them in the wilderness. That earlier in their nation's story, Israel had been freed from slavery in Egypt and they were out in the wilderness and they had this major problem. They had no water. 
Egypt had the Nile, Canaan had its rivers, but they're out in the wilderness. They're like, God, we're crying out because we got no water. We're gonna die out here. We're, gonna, we're dehydrated, we're gonna suffer, we're, we're thirsting, and we're about to be at the end of our life because there is no river. And Yahweh eventually, basically says essentially like, I'll be your river. And God provides water from a rock, a river from a rock that would go with them throughout their wilderness years, those 40 years sustaining this entire nation of people and their civilization. Okay, so they would do this tent camping trip thing, Feast of Tents, they would do it to remember that, but they also did it to look forward and anticipate God's provision in the future. They would essentially be crying out as a nation, going, God, we need your water, your river to come and fill us and fill us up again. And so on the last and greatest day of this feast, the day that John says this scene that we're going to see takes place on, on this last and greatest day of the feast, there was what was called the water drawing ceremony. This is the scene of the temple where Jesus is at, where all the priests, the, the priests would go and they would dump these, they would get these big pitchers and fill them up with water. And the whole nation's like packed in, surrounded, watching. And they would do this procession, carrying the water up to the temple. When we got to the temple, they would get to the altar that was in front of the holy place where God's presence dwelled, and they would circle the altar seven times, and they would dump the water on the altar. And why'd they do that? Well, they were essentially crying out at the altar going, God, we need your presence. We need your river. We need your life-giving presence and flood and provision and abundance to come because we're in exile. We are suffering. Rome's got their boot on our neck. We're in a tough spot and we need the rushing river of your presence to come and fill us and restore our civilization again. They were a civilization crying out for the river. Now, why did they do this on the altar? Well, the altar was the place where sin was dealt with and atoned for. Sin, you see, it was like the kink in the garden hose. It was like the clog in the faucet. It was like a dam blocking and holding back the incoming presence of God that the people were made for, that we all were made for. Well, the title for the message today is Blow Up the Dam. Blow the dam, because what we're going to see is that Jesus has come to blow up the dam, to remove the obstacle, to lay his life down on the altar in order to bring the rushing river of God's presence back to fill us up as his people again. And you can build your civilization, the civilization of your life upon his presence. Let's jump in. Verse 37. It says, on the last day of the feast, the great day, so it's the last day of this national camping trip. Everyone's out in their tents, stinky, thirsty. Jesus stood up in the midst of the nation, and he stood up in the middle of the temple here, uh, in the prior verses we saw. He's at the temple. He stands up, and he cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Right, well, the first thing that we see here is that Jesus invites you to bring your thirst. He invites all who are thirsty to come to him. Now, how many of you are thirsty this morning? I imagine not many, right? Right? 
Probably none of us, really, because we live in a, a day and an age in a place where all you got to really do is turn on the faucet, the water comes out. So it can be harder for us to connect with and know and experience what does that feeling of thirst feel like? And yet, the reality around the world is that around 2 billion people today still don't have safe, clean drinking water. Many people walk miles every day back and forth to get water and bring it home, and often from even from dirty and contaminated sources. I want to introduce you to a friend of mine, Catherine. Uh, Catherine is the uh, executive director. She directs the water project in Kenya and had the chance to uh, be over there multiple times with her uh, partnership back in the day. And one of the things that Catherine taught me was that water is foundational for life. She taught me how water, it's more than just the water, it's also how it's a foundation for life, for civilization, for a whole community to grow and to thrive. And so she explained, um, in international development, one of the things that they would say is like, one of the first things a community needs in order to really develop and grow is clean water. Because it has all these other impacts beyond the water itself. It impacts community health. So, you think about a place where before, she would say you have these places we would visit where the water is like a stale, stagnant pond and there's, uh, there's cholera and waterborne diseases and things that will give you diarrhea. And so there's a lot of community sickness and illness and mortality that these things can lead to. And yet, when the fresh water, clean water, living water comes, then people, their health improves, they thrive, the community health skyrockets. Did you know that in the developing world today, around half of all hospitals still don't have access to safe, clean drinking water? And so you can imagine uh, someone taking their HIV medication with dirty water or uh, giving birth to a child with only dirty water to clean with and some of the sickness and infection that can come. Catherine says when, when clean water comes, it's not just the water, it's the health of the community that improves. So there's also the time that improves because now when the river comes to you, when the water comes to you, you don't have to spend six hours a day trying to gather and fetch enough for, for your family. And this frees up a bunch of time, which also then impacts education because now that means that the kids can go to school. Like rather than the kids having to help with all of the water chores, and so particularly they found uh, one of the biggest things you can do to impact girls' education globally, uh, getting access to education, is clean water because then uh, they're often the ones who are getting the water and then they're freed up to go to school. So it impacts not only education, it also impacts the economy because now on the foundation of clean water, now adults are also not having to spend so much time going to get it and they've got a lot of time for starting new businesses and things that start to open up. And so what we began to see uh, visiting these projects there was how clean water became this foundation upon which civilization, life, community, things would grow and thrive and blossom upon the foundation of clean water. And so you can imagine the joy in a community when water comes to town. Uh, these are a few pictures that uh, a friend of mine, Stan, took. We were able to uh, be visit some of these projects together. And one of the things that struck me was uh, churches that we would be at. Catherine was a part of a church there. She loves Jesus. Her whole team is, is, is connected to some of the churches and work that's happening there for the gospel. And meeting with so many churches that were saying, 
Did you know for years we've been crying out, God, would you bring, we need clean water. We need water for our health, for our kids, for our community, for our longevity, for education, for all these things. God, would you bring clean water? And how this was an answer to prayer. You can imagine the celebration and the life that erupts when a community that has been thirsty receives living water. Clean, pure, free, accessible. You don't even have to go out to go to the river anymore. The river has come to you. Did you know that La Limonada in Guatemala, uh, where uh, our regional focus, we have a partnership there with a place called La Limonada, but the name La Limonada means lemonade, and it, the community was named after what the river, what the water looked like going through town because of urine and, and contamination and cleanliness. And, because of the work that you as a church are supporting, that we are supporting, kids are not only getting clean water, they're getting education and they're getting, their health is improving and they're getting access to opportunities and it's a foundation upon which life can be built. Water is a foundation for life, as Catherine taught me. And Jesus is a foundation life. When Jesus says, come to me and I'll give you living water to drink, that I bring this river to you, Jesus is going, I'm bringing a foundation that you can build your life upon. You can be like Chris Farley. Even if you're living in a van, you can build your van down by the river, right? Like you can build your life on the river because when you build your life on Jesus, it doesn't just impact your thirst. It impacts all these other things. Like, yes, Jesus can quench your deepest thirst. He can satiate the desires that you're going to all these other places to try and satiate. He can quench those deepest thirst, but you get more than that. You get the great physician who improves your health, who goes, I'm actually gonna flush and cleanse and flush out the sickness of sin that's in your soul to help that get healthy and clean again. And not only that, He's like, dude, I'm the great teacher who's going to, upon this foundation, help educate you, help teach you to walk in the ways of God. I'm going to help you with your job, with work, even beyond your work, with vocation. Like we heard in Mark Shelley in that interview, there, the All of Life interview, going, man, seeing our work not just as a paycheck, but actually as a way to love God and serve the flourishing of our community. Jesus is going, you can build the civilization of your life upon me, the river of God, because I'm bringing the life-giving presence of God to not only satiate your thirst, but to provide a foundation that you can build your life upon. Well, we have plenty of water here, and yet we still suffer from dehydration. We still get dehydrated. Now, dehydration, it's a medical term for when your body doesn't get enough water that it needs. Uh, now, this kind of makes sense. You need water. 60% of your body weight is water. So it makes sense. You got to replenish that source, right? And when you don't get enough water, the impact on your life is pretty dramatic. It can be pretty dramatic. Your cells start to shrink. Your tissue starts to wear down. Uh, your brain can swell. And your blood gets kind of cluttered up with junk that's not getting flushed out. Dehydration can have a significant impact on you. And it would be wise to ask, well, why? If we have water everywhere, why do we suffer from dehydration? And one of the issues is that we often settle for substitutes, right? Got your coffee in the morning, got my, you know, you got your coffee in the morning, beer at night, maybe soda during the day. 
And we can do all these other things. We can drink all these other things that uh, maybe aren't necessarily bad, but they're not designed to satiate your deepest thirst. I remember being a kid, and I was really thirsty one day, and I went to the refrigerator. And I'd been playing outside in the heat. I was sweating. I was hot. I was thirsty. And so I, I opened up the fridge, and I said, oh, my gosh, dude, we got two liters of soda, which we didn't usually have. So I was like, oh, man, I'm going to go on the top and chug it down and glug, 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 glug. Put it back. You know, I walked away, and it was so good going down, but I was like, man, I'm still thirsty. I'm actually kind of thirstier. So I went back. I opened it up again, and glug, 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 glug. Some more. I did this like two, three times, and my mom saw me, and she was like, what are you doing? I explained. She's like, no, Josh, soda makes you thirstier. <laughs> soda doesn't quench your thirst. It makes you thirstier. It tastes good going down, but it can leave you more parched when you're done. And I wonder how many of us are going to different things to kind of quench, try and quench your thirst, but things that actually leave you thirstier than when you started you're finished. Maybe it's that relationship or romance where when it started, you were like, man, he looks like a tall drink of water, right? <laughs> but six months later, it's like, he's got me dehydrated. Like I'm parched. I'm like, ah, I need some water, right? <laughs> or maybe it's like Jake talked about last week, human approval, where it's like, I need human approval. And yet all of the Instagram hearts, everything are not enough to fill up that need to be seen and recognized. No. Maybe it's climbing the ladder of career, seeking for success with the title behind your name or the money in the bank account or whatever, just that sense of security that it would provide. But no matter how much you get, it's never enough. Our civilization, I would suggest to you, is suffering from divine dehydration. Said again, our civilization is suffering from divine dehydration because the substitutes don't satisfy. I'd like to call a thirsty witness to the stand, an appropriate witness for today, uh, Mr. Tom Brady, Super Bowl champion. Uh, Tom Brady, in a 60 Minutes interview with Steve Croft, he put it this way. He said, why do I have three, not just one, two, but three Super Bowl rings and still think there's something greater out there for me. I mean, maybe a lot of people will say, hey man, this is what it is. Like, I reached my goal, my dream, my life. But me, he says, I think, God, it's got to be more than this. I mean, this isn't, this can't be what it's all cracked up to be. Brady's saying, I got to the source, I got to the top, I got all the different things I was chasing after. I've got the money, I've got the career, I've got the status, I've got the fame, I've got all the eyes on me, I've got everything I wanted. I've drinking from the depths of the greatest that our society has to offer and I'm still parched. I'm still thirsty. What if you got everything you wanted? Play it out. It's an interesting thought experiment. Going, man, what, what, what if I had the dream? What if I had that job, that money, that person, that relationship, that, that thing? What is that thing, that house, that car, that, whatever that thing is? What if I had that thing? Would it be enough? Musician Billie Eilish, she has a song called Everything I Wanted, where she says, yeah, I had a dream. I got everything I wanted. Not what you'd think. And if I'm being honest, it might have been a nightmare. 
They're saying you can get all the stuff that you want, that you think will fill you, that you think will quench your thirst, that you think will satisfy your deepest desires. And you spend your life and your energy and you're climbing for it and striving for it and working for it. And then when you actually attain it, you find that it's a mirage, an illusion in the desert, in the wilderness that crumbles like sand. They may taste good in the moment, but they are a poor foundation to build the civilization of your life upon. Jesus is going, my water that I bring, it can satisfy you. The reason those other substitutes that you're chasing after don't satisfy is because Jesus, his presence is what you were made for. It is his presence that was designed to satiate your deepest thirst. We need this living water. When Jesus cries out, he says, all who are thirsty, come to me. And I find this ironic because when you think about it, usually it's the thirsty who are crying out for the water. But here we find Jesus flips it and it is the water who is crying out for the thirsty. Saying, if you're thirsty, come to me. All you need is need, right? Jesus is calling you not on the basis of your success, not on the basis of your accomplishments, not on the basis of your trophies and the things you've won and the resume and here's who I am, God, look at me. No, Jesus is calling us on the basis of our need. There's something powerful about that because thirst has an equalizing nature, right? Like we're all, we all get thirsty. We all need water to survive. And Jesus is going, yeah, you don't decide that you're thirsty. You recognize you're thirsty. How many of you recognize that you're thirsty this morning? How many of you have been taking for granted the water because it's just so easy to turn on the tap? It's so easy to, you know, do, do the things, but recognize, man, our lives are being built on the foundation of Jesus. And he's going, come to me. Bring your thirst to me. Bring your need to me. The only obstacle to your thirst getting quenched pretending that you're not thirsty. So the invitation, Jesus says, is bring your thirst, bring your need, come to me. When we get to him, what do we find? When we bring our thirst to Jesus, what does he do? Let's look at verse 38 again, where Jesus says, for those who would come to him and drink, he says, whoever believes in me, saying, whoever believes, whoever trusts, whoever drinks of my presence, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers, rivers of living water. Jesus brings a resurrection river. Jesus brings water that is living water that can bring you back to life and make you alive again. He says here, Rivers of living water, and that term, living water, uh, is an interesting one. In the ancient world, they used the term living water to talk about like a river or water that flowed. Because you could contrast this, let's say, with um, like a pond, a stale or stagnant pond. And there's moss and there's leaves collect and uh, there's disease in it. And you drink it, you get sick, you don't feel good the next day. And, but you contrast that with a running water, like a river. It's rushing by. It's different. It's fresh. It's moving. And it seems like it's alive because it's moving, but it also brings life. Wherever it goes, the crops flourish. You can drink it 
and you get healthier rather than sick. Jesus is saying to you and to I, he's saying, I didn't come to bring you no stale, stagnant water. I came to bring you living water. I didn't come here just to refresh your presence. I came to give you my presence. Jesus is saying, I've come to actually pour my presence out to give you the spirit of the living God who can quench the deepest thirst at the deepest cracks and crevices and parched areas of your heart. I can quench that thirst. I can satiate that thirst. And Jesus is going, this river, these rivers of living water that I've come to bring, the river of my spirit, it can soften the soil of your hardened heart. It can begin to make that soil soft and fertile again and, and allow crops and things to grow. To, it, Jesus is going, man, my river, it can make you fruitful. It can bring resurrection and bring you back to life. My spirit, my presence. Well, Jesus says here that living water will flow out of him, out of his heart, out of his heart. And a question arises here, out of who? Who's the him? What is the what? Who is the him? Jesus is saying out of his heart, and is he referring to himself or to us? Is Jesus saying that living water will flow out of Jesus' heart? Or is he saying that if you drink of him, living water will flow out of your heart? Yes, right? Saying both. Now, it's interesting to me, the language that John uses here, the author of this gospel, he uses language that's ambiguous enough to apply to either. And I think he's doing that intentionally to say, yeah, it's actually both. I'm wording it in a way that applies to both. So let's take each of these. Now, first off, living water flows from Jesus' heart. That's kind of a weird image, right? You think of Jesus standing there, and there's water flowing out. You know, like, what's, what's going on with that? But in verse 39, he says that water refers to his spirit, his presence. And it says that the water that hadn't been given yet because he had not yet gone to the cross and been glorified. So the picture here, which you have is like Jesus is like an exalted sprinkler, right? Like he has been exalted and raised up over heaven and earth and he's just gushing out water upon the wilderness of God's sin-scorched earth. And it's not unlike that dinky whatever setting where my, my sprinkler's always broke. But, dude, like, no. It's like the gushing water that's, you get water, you get water, you get water. Jesus is spraying out the water of the Spirit to all who are thirsty and would come and receive. So Jesus is bringing out this water, and this water is going everywhere, but this water is also, it's free. I love in Isaiah 55, God says, come to me, all who are thirsty, come, you who are thirsty, come and drink deeply. And he goes on to say, why are you spending your money on bread that does not satisfy, on water that does not quench your thirst? Come to me and drink deeply. Even if you have no money, this water is free. Jesus's water for you is free because he has paid the cost. He has gone to the cross and been exalted, paying the cost in order that the life-giving river of God's presence could come to you for free. For all you need, once more, is need. Jesus' water is free. It's also pure. Uh, I remember when my kids and we, we first moved here, and people would ask, like, hey, uh, how, how are your kids dealing with, like, the sun and the heat? It was summer. 
It's like, yeah, you know, the heat ain't that big of a deal. Like, the bigger thing is the water, right? Like, they were drinking the tap water and just going, oh, it doesn't taste good. I don't really like it. And so uh, a friend of ours here was like, dude, you got to get a Berkey. I was like, how many people here have a Berkey? Anyone have a Berkey? Anyway, so we went and got a Berkey. It's like this big old water filter system, you know? And once we have that, it's like, oh, this water is pure. It's good. It tastes delicious. It's refreshing. Well, Jesus is like not only an exalted sprinkler, he's like an exalted Berkey, right? In, over heaven and earth. God has put him in the higher place. He's, he's pushed open the faucet and like the hose is gushing out. And any kids, anyone who's thirsty can come and put the water. It's the water of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit who is holy, who is pure, who is untainted, who is undefiled, who has no sin in him. Jesus brings and gives you pure water with the purity of his presence. Jesus has got water gushing out of his heart that is pure and that is free. And it's for all who would come to receive it. Here's the crazy thing, though. When you drink this water, it begins to flow out of you. That when you satiate your thirst on Christ, it begins to saturate, flow from you. Now, makes me think of like a sponge, right? That our heart, the water flowing out of our heart, that first our hardened heart is like a sponge, right? You ever been to like Target and you come home and you got like the bag of the sponges and they're a little yellow, they're small, they're like a rock because they're all you know, compressed and whatever and it's just like, oh, I could play baseball with this or something. But you got this little rock sponge, then you turn on the faucet and you put the little rock sponge under the faucet and what happens to that, that hardened little sponge thing is it begins to saturate begins to fill up and begins to expand. Just like your heart begins to expand when it soaks in the presence of Jesus. And begins to expand and get filled on the inside out so much so that it begins to drip, 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 drip. It's overflowing. And similarly, Jesus has come to not just give you a little drop of his presence, to overwhelm and to flood you with his presence so that it expands your heart and that it begins to drip out and overflow. And here's the crazy thing with a sponge. What happens when you squeeze it? The water comes out. That's just you. This is a sign of a life soaked in Jesus, is that when you get squeezed, the Spirit comes out. When you get squeezed, the Spirit comes out. When hardship and trial presses in around you, praise comes out and adoration. God, you are worthy despite my circumstances, despite what I'm going through, God. You are worthy because I have tasted of your spirit. And no matter what can come at me or around me, I have tasted and soaked in the goodness of God. When your kids are getting on your last nerve, you're like, ah, it's just crunching you. And patience comes out. Ouch. It's convicting. That's going to be right. When, when, when life and these circumstances, when your enemies hate on you and crush you, love comes out. When your friends are compromising and you're feeling the peer pressure squeezing in all around you, conviction comes out. The sign of a life soaked in Jesus is that when Satan squeezes, the spirit spreads, right? 
Like when the enemy comes to crunch you and to crush you and pull you tight and you've been soaking in the presence of Jesus, his life comes pouring out of you. His presence comes pouring out of you. His love, his patience, his goodness, his kindness, his faithfulness, his gentleness, his self-control. We need to saturate, church, in the presence of Jesus so that when we get squeezed, it's the goodness of God that comes pouring forth. This river of living water, it's not just a drip. Its goal is to overwhelm, to soak us, and to flow from us, to pour from our heart. Well, <clears throat> Jesus' water also has resurrection power. His water is free and it is pure, but it is also powerful. It's interesting that uh, Jesus says here in verse 38, he says, as the scripture has said, these rivers of living water will come forth. What scripture? Jesus, what scripture are you talking about? There's actually a bunch of them. You can go read them this week if you want. There's Isaiah 43, there's Zechariah 14, there's Joel 3. But my favorite is Ezekiel 47. Ezekiel 47, and the image that we get in Ezekiel 47 is that the river of God's presence, this water comes rushing back again out from the temple. The very spot where Jesus is standing as he says this, the river of God's presence comes rushing out from the temple, and this water is so potent that along the banks of this river that come out, the trees that blossom and grow up there, they begin to bear fruit not every year, but every month. Monthly fruit bursting off the branches, monthly apples and berries and I don't know, all sorts of delicious, sugary fruit tasting the good, good tasty things, right? Are bursting. And not only that, it says this water is so potent that every species of fish thrives and lives there. See all the fish swimming in the pond like the koi pond. They're all going around. And here's the craziest thing about Ezekiel 47. It says this potent, life-giving river is going to go all the way down to the Dead Sea. And it's going to overwhelm with life. Now, if you don't know what the Dead Sea is, it's the reason they called it the Dead Sea. It was dead, right? Like, it was salt water. It's at the lowest place on earth. It's all salt water. Nothing can live there. You try and go swimming in it, and you can't even, it's hard to get under the water. You can float on it, right? Because it's just salt water. It's not like, don't drink it. It's like drinking ocean water, only worse. It's gonna make you sick. So the Dead Sea, the problem with the Dead Sea was that it was salty and it was dead. But Ezekiel 47 is going, hey, when this river comes rushing from God's presence, it's even going to make it all the way to the Dead Sea and it's going to so overwhelm its saltiness that it's going to burst forth with life. And all of these fish of every kind are going to be salmon and trout and sturgeon and whatever else you remember there, marlin and every tree. These trees are going to be bursting fruit off the branches every month. And Jesus is going, that day is here and it has come in me. Jesus' water has resurrection power. Jesus is saying, my river is going to go even to the salty and the dead places, even to your heartbreak and that diagnosis, even into the coroner's office and the morgue that, uh, that Mark spoke about earlier. It's going even into the hard places, even to the barren places, even the places that feel like there is no hope. So I have to ask this morning, where in your life do you feel dead? Where in your life do you feel dead? Salty. Maybe it's the salt of cynicism. Just go, man, I have, 
I've been burned too many times, God. I tried to trust people and they let me down and the heartbreak was so much that now I gotta, I gotta put up the dam, I gotta put up the defenses, I gotta clog the faucet, I gotta block the hood. I can't, I, I can't trust anymore because the pain cuts too deep. Maybe it's the fear, the fear that I'm gonna get wounded again. Maybe it's the, the saltiness and death of a lie that you believe in, a lie that the enemy has spoken over your life, a lie that you heard from your parent growing up, or a lie that you heard from that person who walked away, a lie that you are not worthy, worthy enough of, uh, of love, that you are not valuable in God's size, a lie that, lie that God is out to destroy you rather than to come and redeem you, bring you to himself. Where are the places in your life that feel too painful? Because Jesus has come to bring resurrection power there. Jesus' water has resurrection power. It can go even into the salty places, even into the dying places, even the places that feel hopeless, and it can bring them back to life. He can cause the fish to be swimming around again in your bloodstream. He can cause the trees to be bursting off the side of your life. He can cause all those things because Jesus' water has resurrection power. Jesus' water, it's like LaCroix 2.0, right? Like, I remember going to, to Spain for the first time, and my first time trying to order at a restaurant in Spain. And uh, I asked for, you know, agua before, and, and they're like, uh, con gas? And I remember thinking, like, con gas? Like, I don't want gasoline. I just want some water, you know? But when in Spain, it was the Spaniards, so I'm like, okay, con gas, whatever, yeah. And so they brought this water, and con gas meant, like, sparkly water, like bubbly water. And so I got the, the, the agua con gas, but I wasn't expecting that because I didn't know. So I, I took a sip and suddenly it was, you know, it kind of <laughs> cramered me or whatever. I had to boom, pop back. Um, and there was a sense that I was like, dude, this water has kick. Right? Like it's got life. Boom, it's sparking me up. And similarly, Jesus' water is cone gas, right? Like, Jesus' water has kick. He's going, man, it's more than you expected. This is not just like, ah, whatever. This is actually, my water is like Perrier presence, right? Like, I'm coming to bring you my presence. And when you experience it, it's carbonated by the Holy Spirit of God. And when you soak it down to your dregs, like, it brings you up from the grave. Jesus' water has resurrection power. And that means that drinking from his presence it's like drinking from a fire hose, right? It's like drinking from a fire hydrant. I'm going to date myself here, but how many uh, you guys remember, anybody remember the movie UHF with Rudolf Yankovic, right? All right, yeah, UHF. Well, there's this scene where this kid wins the game show. Uh, this kid named Billy, and so the, the host is like, hey, everybody, Billy won. Guess what he, Billy gets? He gets to drink from the fire hose, and so they put Billy back, and he's got like this cowboy hat on, and he's sitting on a little rocking horse or whatever, and they got the fire hose out, and they turn it on, and <laughs> he just like flies all the way back against the wall, right? Jesus, man, worship is like drinking from the fire hose. When we worship the exalted Christ, as we gather together as God's people, and we worship Jesus, who has been exalted over heaven and earth, and the river of his presence is pouring out for all who are thirsty who would come to him, to open our mouths in praise is to open our hearts for his presence. When you open your mouth in praise, adoring, how do I get this water? He says, drink from me. Gaze on my goodness, adore my presence. We wanna lift high who the Father is lifted high, lift high Jesus because he has come to bring 
the river of God's presence. And that river is powerful. It can change your life. His water is free. His water is pure. And his water is powerful. It's a river of resurrection. All right, well, the craziest thing to me in all this is how Jesus provides this river of water. This crazy thing is how he does it. Let's final move in here, verse 39, where Jesus, it says here, it says, now this he said, these things that Jesus has been talking about, this he said about the Spirit. The river is his Spirit. So Jesus said these things about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him or drank from him or trusted in him, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Well, it's interesting here. It says, when Jesus is talking about this river, he is talking about the Spirit, God's presence. And he also makes note, though, he's talking about it not yet. Like, back when Jesus is saying this, in that moment, it's not yet because Jesus has not yet gone to the cross and to be glorified. Now, what that means is, that Jesus went to the cross and was glorified in order to bring you the river of his spirit. Church, Jesus came to blow up the dam. He came to blow the dam of the obstacle of sin that was blocking the way from God's presence and to bring the river of God's rushing, life-giving presence back to us as his people again. And when I say Jesus came to blow up the dam. I am not saying he's like an eco-terrorist or something, right? So let me explain what I mean by this. Now, when I said earlier, the Feast of Tents, last greatest day, there was this big water drawing ceremony. There's one part I left out, failed to mention. And that in this water drawing ceremony is the priests were filling up these big buckets and they were carrying them to the temple and they were walking around the altar. The priests also had these big willow branches, and as they were walking around with these branches from a willow tree, they would beat the altar as they walked around it seven times. And why did they do this? Why were they beating the altar? Well, they were remembering in the wilderness how it was when Moses struck the rock that it was cracked open and the river came gushing forth. Church of God, Jesus was struck so that you could receive the river of his spirit. As Jesus goes to the cross, this is a foreshadowing of what is gonna happen to the son of God, that Christ has come for our salvation. And as he goes to his death on the cross and as they whip his body, they are whipping the rock of our salvation upon the altar of the true temple. And as the spear pierces his side and the nails puncture his hands, he is being punctured in order to bring forth the life-giving presence of God. That as Jesus' spear, as the spear pierces his side, we're told later in John that blood and water flowed out. Blood for the atonement to cover our sin and water, a sign of the spirit of his presence that he has come to give to us as his people. Jesus was struck so that you and I could receive the life-giving presence of God. And if that doesn't make you want to worship, I don't know 
what else does? That the almighty son of God from all eternity has come to lay down his life for you. This is how much he wants to get you this water. This is how willing he is to go to bring that river rushing back again so that you can build the civilization of your life upon him. He has gone all the way to hell and back to quench its flames so that it no longer has to devour your life. He has gone to the grave and back to flood it out and pull you out and bring you up onto dry land in the safety of life with him. Jesus has come to bring living water in order that you could be rebuilt and have flourishing and abundance and all the things that come when water comes because water is life. Jesus' presence is life. Let's praise him. Glory to God. Yes. Well, you know, uh, dam removal projects are kind of a big thing these days. There are hundreds of them planned here in the U.S., uh, around the country, uh, and as well, many more around the world. That's because dams, uh, they can do a lot of good things, but they can also times cause some problems. I, I experienced this when I spent a lot of time working in Vietnam and Southeast Asia. And one of the issues there in Southeast Asia uh, had to do with some dams that had been built upstream. In China, the, there was the Three Gorges Dam. If you're not familiar with the Three Gorges Dam, it's the largest dam system in the world. And when it was built, it displaced like over 1.2 million indigenous people and uh, often impoverished people. And downstream, uh, other countries down south in Southeast Asia uh, had their supply their water supplies at times blocked, and it could lead to drought downstream. It could lead to livelihoods destroyed. It could lead to businesses they once had or farming that once worked no longer working. And similarly, for you and I, sin is like a dam. It's an obstacle upstream blocking the presence of God. That sin, it could be stuff that you've done in your own life. It could be the the dam of personal ways that you've tried to keep God at bay. It could be generational things, kind of the impact of stuff that your parents or your your, your family history, things that were done that maybe were beyond your control, but it's dried up the water downstream and you're feeling the effects of the dehydration. At root in the gospel, it goes all the way back upstream to Adam. Like his sin was like the dam that blocked the rushing river of God's presence. This was to go out and bring flourishing in life through the generations on into the world. Sin is like a dam. And it's more than just sin, like just the rebellion. It's also the impact and consequences of living in a world downstream from sin, downstream from the obstacle, downstream from the dam. We live in a world where it's not just the bad things you do, it's also the lies you believe. We live in a world where there are many lies that the enemy wants to speak over you. Things that he has maybe told you, whether explicitly or implicitly, through circumstances in your life that have torn you down and have made you feel like nothing and have dried up and withered and parched your soul. Are there any lies that you're living under this morning? downstream in a dry and thirsty land. 
No, the enemy also likes to use fear. He likes to keep us afraid. And I mean, there can be good fear, like a bear's coming, like, ah, oh, I gotta get out of here, right? But, but there's this deeper fear of going, man, I, 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 I gotta fix this on my own. I don't know what I'm gonna do. And the anxiety builds and the, the depression, how dark things are. And there are so many things that can build. And that's understandable because we live in a thirsty, dry, and fallen world. Are there any fears that you're loving under today that just feel overwhelming? And it's like, there's nothing I can do to get out of under this. It's, it's too dark. It's too arid. The land feels too parched in my soul. Well, the beauty of the gospel that I want to make sure that you understand today is that Jesus came to blow up the dam. He came to blow it wide open and to satiate your thirst with the river of his presence. I've been watching these videos this week of um, dams exploding, right? They put the dynamite, the thing, and they blow them up. And what's crazy is, at first when it blows, you see like the dirt and the silt and the sediment and stuff coming out. But then after that, like, like the water bursts through, rushing, vibrant, clean, and it begins to flow downstream. You can watch time-lapse videos where you see areas that were barren before begin to sprout up with life, branches, grass, and green. Jesus is going, I have come to blow up the dam. The cross shows and displays the unimaginable extent of my love for you that I would allow the dynamite to be strapped to my back, so to speak, as Jesus became sin for us. He who had no sin became sin. He became the dam. He identified himself. Jesus is like the dynamite that becomes one with the dam, becoming sin for us in order that he could blow away its power. And in doing so, he could bring the rushing river of God's spirit back into your life the way that he was designed to be. So there's two people I want to I speak to this morning. I think one is maybe you're here and you've been exploring Jesus. You've been thinking, man, I, I'm, I've been considering this, but I just don't know. Some of the substitutes look more satisfying. Some of the areas of my life feel too dry to that this could actually quench those deeper thirsts. But I want to invite you this morning to receive the life-giving water that Jesus gave his life to bring you to receive the river of his presence. We're gonna pray in a moment and I just wanna invite you to take that time that we could pray. You could pray, Jesus, I need, I'm dry and thirsty. I've been doing it on my own and it hasn't worked. I need you. He can quench your greatest thirst. The other, I believe there are maybe some of us this morning who the dam's been blown in our life. Like we've received that water, the water of God's spirit, the water of God's presence, and yet you still find yourself dehydrated today. You have access to the water. You find yourself dehydrated. And some of us, maybe even though we've tasted the goodness of Christ, we can hit these seasons in our life where it's like we start to build little dams again. We're like little beavers kind of pulling some sticks together and trying to put some, because we want some space apart from God for our own. And the invitation this morning is no, let's blow the dam. Like, let's get rid of the things that lead to cynicism, that lead to fear, that lead to distance, that lead to living under the lie. Let's blow those things up in order to receive the power of Jesus' resurrection presence. I want to guide us in prayer right now. And this prayer is going to have two movements. The first movement is going to be 
about identifying the dam, the blockage, the clog, the things that, the, the things of, uh, that feel like they're getting in the way. And the second is gonna be to blow the dam, to hear from Jesus what he might have for you, to blow that open and to speak and minister to you today through his spirit. And so would you join me in prayer?